This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. If we have not met yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm going to guide us through our time together. I want to welcome you to what I believe truly is the best summer our church has ever experienced. We are in this incredible series called Summer of Love, learning how to love deeply and fully both God and people, and we'll be exploring that some more today. It is going to be a real journey, so get ready. We are packed full of great stuff today. Here's some things for you to know and do just as we get started. When you came in, you should have gotten a program. Inside of it are two things you're going to need. One is this card that says Start Here. It's your Connect card. Uh, It will uh, help you connect with us. It will help us connect with you. Ultimately, we assume that somewhere on this journey, you're going to start to want to connect with God. This will help us help you connect with God. So help us help you by putting your contact information on this card. Uh, Also, there are some teaching notes inside. You're going to want to grab those. They'll tell you where we're going. And they've got some things on the end, some ways to put what we're learning into practice that you're going to want to take home with you, because it's a whole list of just ways that you can learn how to love more deeply and fully this summer. And then the last thing you want to grab is in the seat back in front of you, or maybe it's on your seat. It's a half sheet of paper that says Summer of Love. And if you look over to this wall over here to my right, we have 87 different entries of ways that people have been loving over the last couple of weeks. 87 entries in about a week and a half. Basically what we're saying is we're going to go out this summer and we're going to try love. We're going to practice love. We're going to learn how to love. And then we want to come back and share stories. So we're going to have these all summer long. And if you took a step in exploring what it looks like to love more deeply— could have been a family member, a friend, a coworker. Could have been somebody just off the street. If you took a step and tried to love, regardless of how it turned out, we want you to share your story. So write it on that piece of paper. In a little bit, the baskets are going to be passed. You'll drop that in the baskets, and we're going to put them up on this wall. And I want to encourage you, go look at the wall at some point throughout uh, the day the today or sometime throughout this series, because there's some great stuff on there. So connect cards, teaching notes, and a summer of love. Make sure you're filling that out, because we want to hear your stories. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I used to think that I was invincible, uh, and it caused me to do some dumb stuff. Anybody else like that? When you were young, you thought nothing could hurt you. Am I the only one? Or a, a couple of, yeah, and we just did—it's called being a teenager, okay? Come on, somebody give me a—yeah, give me a shout-out here. I did dumb stuff. I did a lot of dumb stuff. I actually loved adventure. I loved adrenaline. I was kind of an adrenaline junkie. My middle name is Douglas— And whenever I did dumb stuff, adrenaline stuff, uh, I had my friends call me Douglas Danger. That was my adventure name. I'm not making this up. Douglas Danger. Danger was my other middle name. Kevin Douglas Danger Finkbeiner. It has a nice ring to it. Pastor Danger. That's what you're going to call me from now on. And I remember one time I was with some buddies uh, a little further north, and we were together at night. And by the way, this story, just to clarify, is a descriptive story not a prescriptive story. What I mean by that is don't try this at home. And if you do and the cops pull you over, don't say, hey, my pastor told me to do it because that's a lie. I will disavow you. This is a descriptive story. So I'm with my buddies one night. It's about 1130 and nothing good happens at about 1130. But they said, hey, we've got this climbing rope that's about 80 feet long and we've got this pulley system. What if we went out to that bridge over the lake? You know that bridge that's like 300 feet above that lake? And we hooked the climbing rope to the center of it. And then we walked out and we climbed over the edge of the bridge and made a giant rope swing that was 160 feet in the middle of the night. And I looked at my friends and I said, that seems like a wonderful idea. We should, we should do that. 
And we did. We went out, got there about 1230, and uh, we hooked ourselves up with this reverse pulley system, carabiner system, uh, and I went out to the edge. I climbed over the railing, and right as I got over the railing, you had to hang down, because if you jumped, we thought we'd hit the other side. So we had to just hang down. Right as I got over the edge and I was hanging down, I thought, this is a bad idea. But I was not strong enough to pull myself back up, so the only way to go was down. So I did, and I let out a huge expletive as I went down. Um, and then the adrenaline hit, and so I just started screaming, I'm Douglas Danger! I'm Douglas Danger! And they were laughing, and then the rope swing stopped, and I said, okay guys, pull me up, get the pulley system. And they said, Kevin, there's a car coming over the mountains. He'll be here in about two minutes. We can't start pulling you up. You have to hang down there until he comes across the bridge. And I sat down there, and the adrenaline completely wore off. And I began to think about all the ways this could go wrong. As I heard fish jumping hundreds of feet below me, I thought, if the rope frays, it could break. If the pulley system lets go, it could break. I thought, I let my teenage friends belt me into this thing. That is just not a good choice. And I I got up to the top, shaking, um, pretending to be brave because there were girls there. uh, And I, I realized that I just had the illusion of control in that situation. See, when we're young, and some of us even today, we have this illusion that we are in control of our lives, and then something comes and it rocks that, and we think, maybe I'm not as in control as I I thought I was. But throughout our lives, we kind of go through thinking, well, I pretty much have it covered. That's why I set up my retirement. I plan. I invest. I create dreams. Uh, I talk about the some days of life. Someday I'll love my family more. Someday I'll spend more time with my kids. Someday I'll fix that relationship. Someday I'll be more generous with my time. We have these some days, and, and the problem with some days is they're an enemy of today, because as long as we're saying someday, we never actually do anything in this day. But we do it because we assume that we are in control. But if you just think about the frailty of our life, our life could end in a second. I mean, you're made of skin and you drive cars made of steel that, that go 70 miles an hour. Think if that just broke in on you. Over. Your heart could stop in a second. Uh, any, anything could happen. And, and today could be the last day. And when we have those moments where we just stop and think about how frail life really is, it begs us to ask the question, who's in control of life? Really? Who's in control of life? Really? And that's the question that we're going to explore today. Who's in control of life? Is that being that's in control of life, is he a good being or an evil being? Is he a he? What is this thing? Is this being that's in control kind or evil, caring or distant? Or maybe you're here today and you think there is no higher power, there is no outside being, and and this life is all that is, which means I just need to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow if I die, I had to have the fullest experience I could have today. And I want to explore a little bit who's in control, and if we know who's in control, what is this being like? And I would submit to you today that there is someone in control. It's that, it's that sense that you have if you're not a Jesus follower, when you lay in bed at night and you think there's got to be something else out there, that it's, it's God who's in control, that he's moving and he's real. And I want to explore whether or not he is good or bad and how do we love him more deeply if he is a good God and a caring God, like the Bible seems to say that he is. So what we've been doing this summer, just to catch you up if you've been on vacation or missed, or if you're here because you're coming to watch a friend get baptized later, to catch you up, we have been exploring five different ways to love God. 
We're calling them five languages that God speaks when he loves us and five different languages that we can speak back to God to love him. And now we're exploring five ways to love people. So five ways to love God, five ways to love people. And today we're going to talk about the words that we can speak, the things that we can say to affirm God, to bless God, support God, encourage God, and love God. And as I was writing the sermon, I thought probably the same thing you're thinking. This seems like a weird concept. Why do I need to bless God? Is God lacking something? Does God, does God like cry in his cosmic Cheerios if I don't say kind things to him? Because man, he just thinks, I wish they were just a little nicer to me. I wish they would say kinder words to me. No. No, God doesn't need us to affirm him. God is perfect in and of himself. He doesn't need us to affirm him or to speak a love language to him, but, and this is your first note, but it blesses God when we do. And, here's the great part about it, it blesses God when we affirm him, and it benefits us. Because when we can affirm God with our words, it actually answers that question, who's in control? What is this being like? The Bible says that there are two things we can do with our words. We can grieve God, and and think about that for a second. You can grieve God with your words. Uh, In Ephesians 4.30, the author says this as he's writing this letter to this group of people. He says, do not grieve God's Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of your redemption. He says there's a way in which how we interact with people and how we interact with God can actually grieve him, can cause God an emotion of, of deep sorrow and deep grief. But on the positive side of that, the Bible says that we can bless God with the words that we say. In Luke 15, Jesus is talking about how deeply God loves people. And he says, he says, listen, God, God just loves you. God loves you so much that if he had like a a hundred sheep and he lost one of them, he would leave that hundred sheep to go find that one. And you're like that one sheep. And he, he loves the other 99, but you're so important to him that he would leave them and go be with you. That's how much God loves you. God loves you deeply. And this is what uh, Jesus says at the end of these stories he's telling about how much God loves you. He says this in verse 10 of Luke 15. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. That word sinner is simply someone who has done things that are destructive, that have hurt themselves, hurt other people, that have separated them from God, have hurt God. And and, and the Bible says, and we believe that we have all sinned. And if you don't think you've sinned, just talk to your wife or your husband. They'll tell you, yeah, you're a sinner. Okay, deal with it. Um, But, but the great news of the Bible is that Jesus wrapped himself in flesh and came down to this earth and died in our place so that we would not be separated from God by our sin, but would be drawn back to God. And Jesus says, anytime someone is drawn back to God, the angels in heaven rejoice. When we affirm God, when we speak words of affirmation, God rejoices because we're answering the question, who's in control? Because words of affirmation towards God communicate to God and communicate to us that actually God is in control. God is in control. There may be this illusion that you're in control of your life, that I'm in control of my life, but the truth is God is in control of our lives. And Jesus says that the angels of heaven rejoice when we recognize that God's in control because the angels of heaven know that God is a good God and a caring God and a strong God and a powerful God and a mighty God, and he's good at controlling situations. And I want to spend some time this morning in the Old Testament of the Bible looking at a guy named David. 
David was this king in the Old Testament who understood that affirming God with his words was a really powerful way to love God. David wrote this book, or most of this book, called the Book of Psalms. And Psalms was his poems, its journal entries, and its letters that David wrote to God because David loved God and he had this gift of just speaking words of love, speaking words of affirmation to God. And David was one of those guys who, if you were around him, you could just see that he was close to God. You ever had those people in your life where when you're around them, you can just sense they're close to God. They, they know God. They, they love God. David was one of those guys. In fact, God said, David is a man after my own heart. David is an incredibly loving man. David knows how to affirm me, and because he knows how to do that, it draws us close. And that's what we want to do. We want to draw close to God together. And in Psalm 34, David gives us a picture of how we can affirm God, and why we should affirm God. The how is going to be fun because it's going to challenge some things for us. And the why is good because the why answers the question, who's in control of our life? So here's what David says. This is how and why we affirm God. In Psalm 34 verse 1, David says, I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Way up in verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord. That word bless, it means uh, to commit myself to God. It literally means I will bow down. David's saying, you know what? I will bow down before God because God's in control. So I'm not going to stand up and think I'm in charge. I'm going to bow down to God. And one of the ways that we bless God is we affirm God when we surrender our lives to him, when we bow down to him. For you, this could be a faith awakening experience. Maybe you were raised in the church, but it was your parents' faith. You never really owned it as your own. And then one day you had this faith awakening where you thought, wow, this is true and it's real and God is moving and you committed your life over to God. David says when we do that, when we do that, it affirms God, it blesses God because we're saying, God, you are in control. By the way, at New Life, that's why we, we have this prayer of commitment at the end of the majority of our services. Because if you're having this experience with God, we want you to be able to put it into words. So we give you a prayer that says, this is how you can commit yourself to God. It's not a, a magic spell. It's not you have to say these certain words. In fact, the Bible never tells us we have to pray a certain prayer to commit ourselves to God. He says that following God is how we commit ourselves to him, but we have this prayer time because I want you to mark in your life, today is the day that I am saying to God, I surrender myself to you. I bow down to you. I commit myself to you. So every week we give you a chance to pray a prayer to commit yourself to him. Uh, Surrendering to God could be when you look at an area of your life and you think, well, God tells me to do this thing here, but I'm living my life way over here. And you say, you know what, God? I'm going to do what you say to do instead of what I think I should do. We're surrendering our lives to God. We are bowing down to God. And the Bible says that's how we affirm God. That's how we affirm God. Jesus gives us two public ways that we can affirm God, and we're going to have a chance to do both of those later on this morning. The first is communion. Jesus says when you gather together, uh, take a piece of bread, and and we use a cup of juice. Uh, He used wine back in the day, but because we have all sorts of different people here, we use juice. And, And Jesus said this on the night before he was betrayed, before he was turned over to be crucified and killed for the penalty for our sins. He said, this bread represents my body. It's broken and it's given for you. And this, this juice represents my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. 
He said, as often as you do this, remember me. Remember that I'm in control, and when I took my control, I lowered myself, I surrendered myself to God's will so that you could be brought back to your heavenly Father. And so each week we celebrate communion because it's a time for us to affirm God and say, God, you are in control and you are good because when I was far from you, you wrapped yourself in flesh and God, you came to earth for me. And so in a little bit, we're going to stand up and we have bread and we have juice at these tables around the room and we're going to take communion and we're going to celebrate. And when we do it, God will rejoice because we are surrendering ourselves to him. And a second public way that, that Jesus tells us to affirm him is through baptism. So if you look up here, uh, we have a pool full of water. It is warm water because we love you. (laughs) Baptism is is simply this. If you're new to the church, if you're new to this whole experience, baptism is a public declaration in front of the community that says this, uh, I'm going to go under this water, and when I go under, it symbolizes that I'm dying to my old way of living. You know that time when I thought I was in control, when I thought I had it figured out? I'm dying to that. And then I'm going to be raised up out of the water. And depending on on how long you need to be down there, we'll just, we'll scrub you a little. And then we'll bring you up. No, we wouldn't do that. We never lost anybody in baptism. I just want to be clear. Never lost. And we have a nurse in the front row. So don't worry. You raise up out of the water, which symbolizes a new life with God as the one in control. And we're going to have a baptism time, and there are some of you here who are planning on getting baptized, and you're excited. You've got your your shirt on, your shorts on. You're ready to go. You cannot wait to get baptized. And there are some of you here who who are coming in, and and right now as I'm saying that, you're thinking, wow, I want to get baptized. I've never been baptized, and Jesus commands me to do it. He calls me to do it as a way to follow after him and to bless him and affirm him. But Kevin, I don't have the right clothes on. I'm wearing a light-colored shirt, or, uh, you know, I don't have a towel. Don't worry. We have towels and we have shirts behind stage we're going to bring out. If you've never been baptized, that shouldn't stop you. We can baptize you right now. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but I want my family to be here. I want my friends to be here. Remember, I said earlier that someday, someday is the greatest enemy of today. Because we're not guaranteed someday. We're only guaranteed today. So why would you wait for another couple months until we have another baptism service instead of getting baptized today? as a way to affirm God and bless God. And, and just so you know, we have some photographers who will take pictures so they can record the whole thing. You can show your family. You can tell the stories. It'll be absolutely amazing. And I know some of you, your biggest, your biggest complaint is, Kevin, I see you up here and you're drinking coffee all day. And then you're going to like bow down and pray for me. And you're going to have that nasty dragon coffee breath. And I just, <laughs> I, I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, don't worry. Friends, don't worry. I have a full pack of Listerine strips. I will be listerining myself so that we're ready. Don't let anything stop you from getting baptized today. Because we love you. Warm water and listerine strips, because I love you. Why would you let anything stop you? Jesus says, you want to affirm me? Surrender your life to me because I'm a good God. Celebrate communion to celebrate what I've done and, and get baptized. You have the chance to do that today, today. So that's, that's one way we affirm him. Another way we can affirm God is through the words that we speak to God and about God. And a key way that we do this is through musical worship, musical worship. David said in that scripture we just read, he said, God's praise will continually be on my mouth. That word praise is, is an ancient word, hallel, and hallel means hallelujah. If you want to get an idea of hallelujah, what that looks like, think about your favorite sports team. 
somehow someone gave you tickets. You're front row at your favorite sports team. It's playoff time. You're just so excited about it. And your team is down. It's like the end of the game. They're down by one or maybe it's tied up. And all of a sudden your team scores and you jump up and you're going crazy and your popcorn spills and your $8 beer gets knocked over. But you're like, I don't care because my team scored and you're going crazy. You're high-fiving people you don't know. You're kissing people you don't know. And then you're like, whoa, that, that was weird. But you're just going crazy. That's Hallel. That's Hallelujah. 166 or 160 times in the Old Testament, God says, Hallel me, Hallelujah me, praise me like when your favorite team wins the game. Worship me with passion. And some of you are here and you're thinking, you know what? Now, that's not me. That's not me. I don't, I don't do that. Okay, Kevin, you're kind of weird and goofy and you use your hands a lot. Great. You praise Jesus like that. But that's not me. Uh, There are different temperaments. I get that. But when you say that's not me, can I ask you a question? Which you are you talking about? The Bible says that there are two yous. And I'm just talking to Jesus followers here. So if you're not a Jesus follower, you just get an inside picture here. But the Bible says that if you're a Jesus follower, there are two yous. There's an old you who used to walk by yourself thinking you were in charge, you were in control. And there's a new you who follows Jesus, who thinks Jesus is in charge, who thinks Jesus is in control, who decided to surrender your life to Jesus. Which you are you talking about? Because I get that the old you doesn't do that. But the new you, the new you does. Listen, the old me, before I became a Jesus follower, I used to love hardcore rap. I, I know what you're thinking. Obviously you did. Look at you. I did. I loved— <laughs> I loved hardcore rap. Snoop Dogg, Easy e Dr. Dre, Death Row's Greatest Hits was my favorite CD in high school. Loved it. Then I became a Christian, and no joke, I went to this uh, Christian camp, and I started singing the rap songs with the radio edit version, you know, with everything beeped out, and there was like no song left. So I thought, I need to find out something else that I can hallel, that I can just sing, because rap music is not doing it for me anymore. And I found out that I could worship Jesus because of who he is. And so now I, I worship him. I have a dream. I have a dream that someday at our church, someday at our church, there will be a Sunday where the music will turn on and it will look like Walmart on Black Friday. You're in the lobby, you hear the music, and people just stampede to the doors. They got to get inside. You're picking up your children. The older people are stepping out of the way because we cannot wait to worship Jesus together. I want our church to be like Walmart on Black Friday. You can tweet that. That's, what I, that's my dream for our church, that we would just go for it. If you're a Jesus follower, there should never be a Sunday where you walk in late to church and mumble a few songs and think, well, that was okay. No, God wants us to worship him. That's, that's how we do it. Baptism, communion, through speaking words of affirmation through worship. And I want to talk about why we do it, because— uh, David goes on to talk about why, why we worship. In verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and he saved him and he, he put, all of his, put him out of all of his troubles. Do you notice all the past tense words there? I sought God. He answered me. He delivered me. He heard me. He saved me. Why do we speak words of affirmation to God? We speak words of affirmation to God because of everything he has done in our lives, everything he has done in the world. That's how we know God's in control, because look at the things he's done in your life, in your family, 
with your friends, in your marriage. Look at the things God's done in the history of the world. The world was separated from God, and God gave His Son to restore us and to bring us back. We know we can trust God because throughout the history of the world and the history of your life, God has proven Himself to be a powerful God and a good God. I know that's true for me. God has rescued me from so many things. In my early 20s, He rescued me from a pornography addiction that would have sunk my life, that would have ended ministry. As I got married, He rescued me from an anger issue that probably would have uh, ended my marriage, affect my marriage. He showed me how to be a patient man and a, a caring husband. God has given me a wife who I, I don't deserve. He's given me incredible kids. He's given me a church. Listen, church, you got to understand, most churches would not even let me sit in the seats. You let me preach. Okay? God is good to me. I worship God for all that he has done. And we should worship God for all that he has done. David goes on to say in verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. We affirm God for what he is doing real time. It says he encamps real time and he rescues real time. What is God doing right now in your life? Real time. What's he doing today? What's he doing this week? And don't say nothing because God's always doing something. We just have to look for it and see it. What's God doing in our world real time right now that we can praise him for? Remember, we're trying to answer the question, who's in control really And I would say God is in control because look at everything he's done in history and look at what he's doing now. And the last thing is we affirm God for what he will do. Verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's an invitation from David to us. He says, do you want to know if God is good? Just taste and see. Just check him out. Just try it. God will prove himself faithful. Look at what he has done. Look at what he is doing. And imagine what he will do in your life if you surrender to him. The Bible says that a day will come, a day will come when Jesus will come back to this earth and end suffering and end pain and end death. And in the interim between where we are now and that day that Jesus comes back, the Bible says that God's spirit is moving in our lives and changing us and restoring us and healing us and using us to love the world. One day God will come back. He will set things right, and we praise him because of what he will do. We praise God for what he has done in our lives and in the world. That's how we know he's in control. Look at what he's done. We look at our lives today, and we say, God is working right now, and I can praise him because he's in control of my life now. And then we look to the future and say, I can praise God because of what I know he will do in the future. And that's why we praise him. That's why we know. Even when it looks like God is out of control, God is in control. He is. He's working. He's moving. He's powerful. And he loves you. And he loves me. And if you're not worshiping him with your words and with your actions, you are missing out on a way to love God. And I don't want you to miss out on it anymore. I just don't. It's just too good. I sat on the side stage while they were singing that last song, This is Amazing Grace, and I'm glad they played that pre-service song because as I was singing about God's grace, man, I was just overcome with emotion about how, God, how good God is. And I was like, dude, lock it up. You gotta pull it together. You gotta go preach. But I was just like overcome with this, God, you're so good. All I wanna do is praise you. All I wanna do is worship you. And friends, we have an opportunity now to, to do that. 
We're going to go into some time now for the rest of our, our morning together where we're simply going to worship God in a couple different ways. Like I said, we have communion tables all around the auditorium. And in a second, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And if you're ready to uh, commit your life to Jesus, maybe you're not a Jesus follower, but today's the day where you say, yes, I'm surrendering my life to him. I'm bowing down to him. You can do that and take that step by taking communion around the tables. You can do that with us as a way to commit yourself to God. If you're a Jesus follower, do that and be thankful for all that God has done for you. We're also going to have this time of baptism right now. So when I invite everybody to stand up, if you came prepared to be baptized, or if as I was speaking, God was just stirring in you and you realize, I've never been baptized and today's my day. I want you to come up to the front. I'm going to be standing right over here. Ron's going to be standing right over here. Either of us would be happy to baptize you. Or if you have a friend who's been instrumental in your journey towards God, they can come and baptize you. If you're scared to come up alone, uh, grab a family member, grab a friend, come up with them. We'll make it a big party up here around the front and we'll baptize you. If you came by yourself and you want to get baptized, just grab some random person next to you and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. Let's get baptized together. They'll be happy to come up and baptize you. Maybe they've never been baptized. You just pull them into the water. (laughs) Why would we let anything stop us? And then the worship team's going to play, and we are going to hallel God. We are going to say, hallelujah, Jesus. We're going to worship him like he just scored the greatest touchdown ever. Like he just hit a grand slam in the World Series. That's how we're going to worship God today. Next week, we're going to start a stampede coming in here on Sunday morning because we just can't wait to come and worship God. And if you're here today and you've just never surrendered yourself to God, that's that's the greatest act of worship you could ever do. Because here's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm done worshiping myself. I'm done assuming that I'm in control of my life, that I'm in charge, and I'm going to start worshiping God because he truly is in control of life. He truly is in charge. And he made a way through Jesus for you to come back and experience life with your heavenly father. So if you've never done that, I'm going to pray a prayer, and then we're going to go into worship and baptism and communion. But in the very beginning, I want you to have the opportunity to commit yourself over to God as an act of worship. So if you sense God is calling you to himself, uh, you can pray this prayer with me. You can whisper it right where you're sitting. So would you join me? Let's all close our eyes. Let's, let's pray together. And I want to start off by praying for everybody here. Holy Spirit, would you show us, would you show us even more fully and even more deeply how to love you with our words and why we can trust you, God? Because you're good. Because you're here. Would this be a time where we would take a next step in in worshiping you more fully this morning? For my friends who are getting baptized, even the ones who still don't know it yet, Holy Spirit, would you speak to them? Would you encourage them? Would you nudge them to come forward and be baptized as a way of saying, I am not in control of my life anymore, but Jesus is in control. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and something you heard today rings true, and you know that it's time for you to come into relationship with God, to stop trying to lead yourself and allow God to lead you, you can pray this simple prayer with me. So you can repeat these words, just whisper them where you sit. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth, that you lived a perfect life, and that you gave your life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin, to bring me back into relationship with my Heavenly Father. And today I say yes. Yes, I want this relationship that you're offering. 
And yes, God, I want you. So would you come, Lord? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from here into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.